What is up, everybody? It is JT Sports. I am back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you guys some of my key reactions and takeaways from this past week of college football. Going to be talking about Oregon's upset victory over Ohio State. FSU are then trouble after suffering a huge upset loss to Jacksonville State. Clay Helton, are we in the final days of the Clay Helton era at USC? The Florida quarterback controversy. A lot of people out there have mixed thoughts on who should be starting for the Gators. Should it be Anthony Richardson? Should it be Emory Jones? And lastly, how about those Razorbacks? We're going to be talking about Arkansas's victory over Texas. Now, before we get into it, if you are a first-time listener of the podcast, welcome Make sure that you go ahead, leave a five-star review if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure that you go ahead, follow me on my social media pages. My Instagram and Twitter is both JTSports underscore. Once again, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JTSports underscore. And lastly, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel, JTSports on YouTube. The first thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about Oregon's upset victory over Ohio State. Oregon defeated Ohio State 35 to 28. And I'm really pissed off with how the media is looking at this win from Oregon's perspective because I'm I'm just really irritated. Okay. Like every time there's upset that takes place, the media never really gives the team that pulled off the upset victory enough credit. Like for example, UCLA defeated LSU last week and all people were talking about was what's wrong with LSU what went wrong in this game and it seemed like not enough people really gave UCLA the credit they deserve for pulling off the victory you know they kind of just said oh UCLA won the game and that pretty much was it you know it was all about what LSU did wrong and not enough people were talking about the team that actually won the game in UCLA and I see a similar situation taking place like so many people are talking about Ohio State lose you know what what went wrong for Ohio State what Ohio State needs to fix and not enough people are talking about how well of a game Oregon played Oregon defeated Ohio State without their two best players on defense and Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau which Kayvon Thibodeau is probably the best football player in America right now he's probably going to end up being a top three pick in the 2022 NFL draft so it, it just really pisses me off how the media kind of is just throwing aside Oregon's victory you know this was a huge win for Oregon because when you think about what this win means for Oregon football this this win is going to be momentous in terms of recruiting. Is going to be a huge boost for the Pac-12 conference. Like enough people aren't talking about Oregon's win. Too many people are just talking about Ohio State's loss. Okay, and I understand why you know some people are concerned about Ohio State because Ohio State is a team who a lot of people believe is going to be a lock for the college football playoffs this year and all that. But we need to start giving more praise to the teams that actually win the freaking games and not more praise to the team that loses the game. The team that wins the game should be the team that gets talked about the most. And it's just really irritating to see people just talking about Ohio State and how they lost the game and what went wrong. And not enough people are talking about what Oregon did. 
Literally, like enough people, there should be more people out here talking about why Oregon won this game and what's next for Oregon instead of what's next for Ohio State. Like, it just really pisses me off, man. Like, give Oregon their props. And people are, I'm not saying that nobody's talking about it. I'm just saying not enough people are talking about it. It seems like all people care about is, you know, Ohio State losing this game. So when you look at Anthony Brown, man, I think he had a really good game. Anthony Brown so far this season for Oregon has been what I envisioned him being. You know, he's been really solid. He's extended plays. He's had a veteran presence. He doesn't turn the football over a lot. He's been making good decisions, 17 to 35 for 236 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He also has 65 rushing yards on the ground. He also had some big plays when he was able to keep, um, you know, the drive alive with his legs. He had a big run, which he ran over a defender, put his shoulder down. He switched the ball to the other arm that he was carrying in, and he trucked over a defender. And you also had Cesar Verdell, who had an incredible game, 20 carries for 161 rushing yards, two touchdowns, was averaging 8.1 yards per attempt. And once again, I have to stress this again, because I don't think enough people are talking about this, but Oregon won this game without their two best players, and Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau, they did not playing this game so this is a really talented Oregon team and this definitely is a Oregon team that is a legitimate championship contender you know going into this game a lot of people's questions about Oregon is okay is this finally the team that we think they should be with all of the great recruiting classes they've brought in over the last couple of years. Like now they have to prove that they are now in the leagues that they can't compete with the Ohio State or Clemson. So that's pretty much what everybody's major concern was. Well, at least that's what I was looking at going into this game. Okay, because me, I already made a video talking about why I believe that Oregon is a college football playoff contender. And this game kind of showed me, you know, it kind of solidifies that. Now, my next question is going to be, okay, what does Oregon do next? Because we already know that Oregon is, you know, a contender. But my thing is, are they going to end up being one of the final four teams when the season ends? Because you still have to play Arizona State. And the Pac-12 is really weird because there are a lot of unusual upsets that take place. Like Oregon lost to Oregon State last year. Like it's just really weird. So you don't really know what you're going to get out of the Pac-12. Like Oregon is a really good team, but you don't really see a lot of consistency week to week in this Pac-12 conference. And also Arizona State also looks really good also. They look pretty formidable. You got UCLA there. So I mean, like, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how Oregon ends up finishing off the season because this is a Pac-12 conference that you don't really know what to expect from a week-to-week basis because there's not a lot of consistency. Like, we know Alabama, if they're playing like a team like a Kentucky or South Carolina, they're going to steamroll them. But in the Pac-12, you don't really have that consistency. So any given week, you know, 
Oregon could go down. You can say the same thing for Alabama, but if we're just being honest, you know, in the Pac-12, I just don't really think there's a lot of consistency out of the teams in this conference. You know, Oregon has the talent, but my thing never was, my biggest concern about Oregon never really was talent. I knew they were talented. My biggest issue with Oregon is going to be, okay, can you remain consistent? Can you go through the rest of your schedule without having a hiccup unless you lose to Arizona State? I can understand a loss like that or a loss to UCLA or a loss to USC, but you know, a loss to a team like an Oregon State or something like that, can you survive, you know, those teams having that upset brewing? So that's really my biggest concern that I have for Oregon at this point. I'm not really concerned about the talent because as we saw, you know, yesterday on Saturday or whenever you're watching this a couple of days ago, Oregon definitely has a talent that they can end up being in the college football playoffs this year. And I don't really like talking about the college football playoffs so early, but you know, this team definitely is a team that's a legitimate contender for a national championship. And I've been really asking this question for over the last couple of years, when is Oregon going to be able to put it together? Like I believe that Oregon with how well they have been recruiting they could go on a run in this Pac-12 conference similar to what Clemson has done in the ACC because the Pac-12 to me isn't really all that great. It's kind of weak. There's still a lot of teams who are trying to figure things out similar to the ACC. So when you look at how Clemson has dominated the ACC, I feel like Oregon could dominate the Pac-12 in similar fashion. So I'm really intrigued in Oregon and seeing how they finish out the rest of this year because the Pac-12 conference, there's a lot of inconsistency. Like you see more upsets happen in the Pac-12 than any other conference, in my opinion. So for Oregon, you have the quarterback in place. You have a really athletic and talented defense. Like this is a team that most definitely is a legitimate championship contender. And surprisingly enough, like I was really surprised at how people were viewing Oregon after this game like a lot of people were really surprised like I thought that more people would be a little bit more high on Oregon I view Oregon as being in the same situations like a Texas A&M or UNC a team that is you know on the outside looking in or being a legitimate college football playoff contender and whatnot so I'm really surprised a lot of people you know feel the way they do about Oregon like a lot of people don't really view this team as a legitimate college football playoff contender or a national championship contender like I do so for right now you know I'm still really high on Oregon I still believe that they are going to get in this year you know and I'm really impressed with the win that they had against Ohio State I ended up having to leave early. I didn't get to finish watching the whole entire game in its entirety because I ended up going to um, an FAU game because I attend Florida Atlantic University. So I was trying to keep up with the score, but the connection was kind of bad and whatnot. So I was trying to figure out, okay, is is a Is Ohio State going to come back? Is Oregon going to be able to hold on? Because I actually picked Oregon to lose this game. So I thought Oregon was going to end up losing and I was going to be like, oh man, but it ended up happening. Oregon ended up holding on. And I'm somebody, if you guys are new to the channel, I love chaos. I love upsets. I want upsets to happen every single week. I want college football to have the most chaotic season that we've had since what, 07? 
So I was really happy that Oregon was able to get this victory over Ohio State. I'm really excited for the future of this Oregon football program. And I feel like enough people, a lot of people in the national media don't really realize how good this Oregon team is. And it's pretty evident by, you know, how everybody's reaction was after the game. Everybody's so focused on Ohio State. Nobody's talking about Oregon. And a lot of people don't even realize that this team is kind of in the same bracket as Texas A&M. Like, they're right there in terms of being on par with some of the Blue Bloods in America. You know, like your Clemsons, your Ohio States, and Bama. Like, Oregon's right there in that conversation. If you ask me, like, they're really close the breaking that door and getting right back into the college football playoffs because they were in the college football playoffs like a couple of years ago when they defeated Ohio well when they lost to Ohio State and they defeated FSU back when Jameis Winston was playing so you look at Oregon I view them as being in that Texas A&M bracket like they're right there and to being on par with some of the best programs in America and this game right here just kind of solidified it, you know, like, yeah, they can compete. That's what my biggest concern was. Can Oregon prove to me that they can be on the field with the team like Ohio State? Because you got to remember, I believe Oregon was a double digit underdog in this game. I think the spread was like 13 or 14 points in the favor of Ohio State. So the fact that Oregon won this game they did it by a touchdown shows you that yeah this team definitely is capable of competing with some of the best schools in America I got a lot of friends who are Florida State fans and I really wasn't going to you know plan on making a you know topic about this or making a video about this but I have a lot of FSU fans who Keep asking me, JT, how do you feel about FSU losing to Jacksonville State? So FSU, Florida State, lost to Jacksonville State at home 20-17. to And everybody wants to know how I feel about Mike Norvell right now. And here's my thing, okay? Like, I don't really know how to feel. And if you're an FSU fan, you're in a weird spot right now. Because you're like, okay, Mike Norvell, this is a rebuild. Okay, I understand that this is going to take a couple of years. FSU just isn't going to, you know, be one season in and be right back at the top. Like, this is a process. But at the same time, also, if you're a Seminoles fan, you're in your head saying, damn, I understand this is a rebuild, but do we have to lose to Jacksonville State in the process? Like, there are just certain things that are inexcusable. There are just certain things that should not happen. And FSU losing to Jacksonville State is one of those. No matter how down FSU football is, you shouldn't be losing to a Jacksonville State. And I understand that upsets happen, but certain upsets, you know, are just inexcusable. They're inexplicable. And when you look at a school like Florida State that, believe it or not, has a pretty talented roster according to the 24-17 talent composite rankings, this is a really solid football team, at least compared to on par of Jacksonville State. So there's really no reason why they should have lost this game. And the only two positives that I have from this game is Joshua Corbin. He's pretty much the most reliable player on the offense. He had 15 carries for 109 rushing yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, and one touchdown. And if you're FSU moving forward for the rest 
rest of the year, Joshua Corbin needs at least 25 to 30 touches. Then you got edge rusher Jermaine Johnson, who was a transfer from the transfer portal. He has been wrecking havoc so far for FSU this year. He's been their best player on the defense side of football, two and a half sacks against Jacksonville State. But outside of that, there wasn't really any positive takeaways. You know, I don't really like how the coaching staff of FSU went about managing the game. I didn't really like the play calling. I still don't understand why people try to get Jordan Travis involved. Like, if you're going to bring Jordan Travis on the field, you got to switch it up. Okay, stop with the stupid wildcat bullcrap because... It's pretty obvious when Jordan Travis comes in the game, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run the freaking football because he's not that great of a passer. And last week, it was kind of odd that Jordan Travis came out the game. I I believe his helmet got taken off, so he had to come out of play. And then McKenzie Miller finished off the game like... It's just kind of really weird because I felt like McKenzie Milton should have been the starting quarterback anyway going into that Notre Dame game. So it's kind of weird how FSU has kind of managed the Jordan Travis McKenzie Milton situation. Like it's really weird. And then on top of that, McKenzie Milton didn't really have, you know, that great of a performance, you know. He doesn't really have the best wide receivers around him, doesn't really have a great offensive line. So I think he's trying to do the best that he can with what he has in front of him. But overall, it just was a really lackluster performance from FSU. And really, it's no excuse for losing this game. And Mike Norvell came out after the game and apologized to the fans, as he should, because anytime that you have Jacksonville State going around, taking their team flag and playing it in the middle of your field, that's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. And at this point, you know how I feel about Mike Novell. I don't know if he is the guy or if he isn't the guy because, I mean, when Willie Tagger was going into year two and he was having his struggles, a lot of people wanted him gone. Everybody was coming for Willie's head. So, I mean, where's this energy with Mike Norvell? Now, Mike Norvell is having a lot of success on the recruiting trail right now. Currently, the last time I checked, like 10 minutes ago before I started recording, FSU had the 10th best recruiting class in America right now, according to 247. And... For me, I'm interested in seeing how their recruiting class finishes out the rest of the year when, you know, National Signing Day takes place. Because if FSU keeps on having the season that they're having and they're not putting on a lot of wins, you know, I understand they're in a rebuild and recruits understand that this is a rebuild going on. But at the same time, some recruits out there may be like, you know, they're rebuilding, but I at least want to see something. And, you know, losing to Jacksonville State doesn't really give a lot of recruits a sense of hope because when recruits know who's rebuilding and who's not rebuilding. So what recruits are looking for out of a school that's rebuilding, like they at least want to see, you know, some glimpses. Like last week against Notre Dame, you saw some glimpses. A recruit that's currently committed to FSU right now can be like, okay, like this team isn't a rebuild, but they're fighting. You know, they're competitive. They're winning. They're beating teams that they should beat. No recruit that's committed to FSU right now is going to want to go to a school that loses to a team named Jacksonville State. And a lot of people don't even know who the hell Jacksonville State is. So, I mean, this is a really bad loss. A really bad loss. And I'm really stuck in between the fence. Like, 
Okay, like I understand Mike Norvell is rebuilding. This is a FSU football program that's in rebuild mode. But at the same time, there are just some things that you can't let slide. Like you, like I can understand losing to Notre Dame. I can understand losing to Miami. I can understand losing to Clemson and whatnot. But nobody can make any excuses for losing to freaking Jacksonville State, an FCS team who you should have blown out. And I understand this is college football, things happen, but this just isn't a really good look for FSU. And what's even more embarrassing is that it happened at home. And how it happened. You lost by pretty much a last-minute Hail Mary. You know, it's just a lot of bad execution that happened on that play. Literally, like, that play should never happen. I honestly don't know how it happened. I'm still going back watching the play. I'm like, bro, like... So many things went wrong for FSU in that play. You know, you had a defensive back that wasn't really in a good position to make a play on the ball. Then, you know, you had a missed tackle. Like, there's just so many things that went wrong that play. Like, it was just poor execution overall in the whole entire game. So, I have a lot of friends who are FSU fans. As you guys know, I'm a Miami Hurricane fan. And I'm... I'm not bashing FSU, you know, I'm, I think I'm being pretty reasonable because Miami football isn't nothing to write home about, neither after we damn near escaped <laughs> Appalachian State, I don't even think we're going to beat Michigan State, so, you know, after, you know, as a Hurricane fan, you know, I kind of understand what FSU is going through. Now, Miami isn't down as bad as FSU is, but I kind of understand, you know, your frustration. Because there are teams out there that you should beat. You shouldn't be losing to a school like Jacksonville State. You should be blowing schools like Jacksonville State out. And this doesn't really look like a good look on Mike Norvell's part. So when you look at Willie Taggart, you know, when they almost lost to what what school was it? Sanford? Everybody was ready to bring the pitchforks out. So for FSU, man, if you're a Seminoles fan right now, like I honestly... I honestly don't really know how to really feel about the future of this program because, yeah, you're doing really good on the recruiting trail. Yeah, you had a really hard fall game against Notre Dame last week, week one, but then you come out and you lose to a Jacksonville State. And no disrespect to the Jacksonville State alumni out there or the Jacksonville State fans out there who are watching this game. You know, you played a really good game. All props to you for winning. But we're being realistic. FSU really should have won this game. So, I mean, like, if you're a Simmons fan, there are a lot of things that's going through your head. Like, yeah, you understand that this is a rebuild, but damn, do you have to lose to Jacksonville State in the process? Doesn't really give you a lot of hope moving forward. Clay Helen at USC. So, USC lost to Stanford last night, 42-28. to And this loss pretty much all but solidifies, you know, we're most likely probably in the last days of the Clay Helton era at USC. Now, I don't like coming on here and saying that coaches need to get fired and whatnot because I don't like calling for people's jobs. But I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, the writing is on the wall for Clay Helton at USC. Like my guy Juice Alert says, this is his catchphrase. He needs to get this merchandise and put on the shirt. USC has peaked under Clay Helton. My guy, Juice Alert, make sure that you go ahead and check him out. Juice Alert podcast. That's a phrase that he uses a lot. But yeah, USC has peaked under Clay Helton. And the first couple of years, Clay Helton was at USC. They had a pretty good run 
2016, won the Rose Bowl, won 10 games, won 11 games, went to the Cotton Bowl in 2017. And after that, everything has pretty much been downhill. 5-7, and 8-5, and 5-1 and last year. Like, when you look at USC right now, man, like, this is a really talented roster. You're in California, one of the most talented states in America when it comes to football talent. There should be no reason why USC should be losing to Stanford. And Stanford is a respectable program, okay? Stanford is a really tough program to win games at. David Shaw is one of the most underrated coaches in America. Not going to take anything away from Stanford. But at the same time, this was a Stanford team that lost to Kansas State last week. 24-7, to I believe. So, I mean, USC should have won this game. And for Clay Helton, like, you know, like, he knows that his job security is pretty much in question. And he knows that he pretty much is on his way out. But the thing is, a lot of USC fans are saying, you know, this is a move that should have been a long time coming. Clay Helton should have been out the door. According to a lot of USC fans, the way a lot of Trojan fans feel, they feel like Clay Helton should have got fired after 2019. It's kind of hard to fire a guy, you know, after, you know, what happened last year of them making it to the Pac-12 championship and whatnot. But at the same time, you kind of have to be in line with your expectations. And everybody's saying, you know, when it comes to these blue blood programs that used to be good in the past, like Miami and Texas and USC, everybody always likes to say those teams are back anytime they have, you know, a big time win or they just have a lot of momentum. Everybody likes to say those teams are back. But then, you know, they they really aren't back. And when you look at USC, out of all of the former Blue Blood programs that have a chance to actually be legitimate championship contenders, I think USC is in a better situation than Texas and Miami because for Texas, it's going to take a couple of years. It's going to take at least two or three. For Miami, hell, it may take damn near a decade depending on how the coaching situation goes for Miami. But the thing that USC and Texas have that Miami dozens that you know they have access that they can end up getting a really good coaching hire they can get a really highly sought after coach so Miami you know you can't really get a guy like a Billy Napier or a Luke Fickle USC can Texas could if they needed to you get what I'm saying like if Steve Sharkish didn't want the job then they probably could have went out and tried to get a Luke Fickle or Billy Napier so when you look at USC at this point If I'm in the athletic department for USC, I'm looking at potential candidates to replace Clay Helton. So who are going to be the next guys in line who, if you're a USC and you're a USA fan, who you would want to be on the phone with? Well, I'm definitely calling up Lou Fickle with Cincinnati. And I understand that Lou Fickle and that Cincinnati program, they're heading in the right direction. Then also you have them potentially making the move to the Big 12 with UCF and BYU. Like, if you're Lou Fickle, that's pretty interesting. 
Because do you stay with Cincinnati, even though they're making the move to a Power 5 conference? Or do you jump shift for USC, a team that pretty much only needs like one good year, and they can definitely be in the national championship conversation? Because the thing with USC is that it's not talent. Like, talent is there. As a matter of fact, USC doesn't really need to rebuild. USC gets the right coach in there. They're winning 10-11 games off-rip. According to 24-7's team talent composite rankings, USC has the 10th most talented roster in all of America. So when you look at USC, like you get the right coach in there who knows what he's doing, is able to come in there, assemble a good staff and whatnot. USC could easily be a destination that a guy like a Luke Fickle or Billy Napier could win 10 games year one. So Luke Fickle, I don't think he's out the well, out the realm. But, you know, I think he's pretty content with how things are going with Cincinnati. Now, Billy Napier with Louisiana, okay, I definitely think that's a realistic possibility. I think that would be a really good hire. Billy Napier is really good at player development. I think he's really good when it comes to having his team prepared on a week-to-week basis. Like, I think Billy Napier will be a really good hire for USC. And there's probably some other good coaches out there who are kind of under the radar, who I'm not talking about. UAB has a pretty solid coach. Like, there's a lot of solid coaches out there. But I think the two big ones, if you're a USC Trojans fan, who you probably want to be on the phone with right now, or if you had a chance to pick, it probably would be either Luke Fickle or Billy Napier. But it looks like the writing is on the wall for Clay Helton. And I don't really think that USC is going to win or be able to win their division in the Pac-12. I don't think they're going to make it to the Pac-12 championship game this year. And I think they're most likely going to end up losing to UCLA. So you already look at this loss to Stanford. Then if you lose to UCLA, like the writing definitely is going to be on the wall. But all Stanford really did, if you're a USC fan, you should be sending a thank you note to Stanford. Because Stanford now has kind of sped up the process. Now, you know, before the season started, we were wondering, okay, what's going to happen with Clay Helton's future after the season? Now we're asking the question, is Clay Helton even going to be able to make it through the season? So the writing pretty much is on the wall for Clay Helton. Like I said, I'm not somebody who likes to come on here and say people need to be fired. This guy needs to be fired and whatnot. But... I think the writing is pretty much on the wall for what needs to be done. And USC is a program that needs to go through a long-term rebuild. Like, this is a program that if you're a guy like a Billy Napier, a first-year head coach, you can come in and win 10 games right off the bat. It's not down bad like a FSU or something like that. Like, USC is closer to getting back to the college football relevance or being back to that national championship contender than what Texas and a school like Miami is. You know, it's going to take a little bit of while to get Miami back on track, similar to Texas as well. You know, Texas, it's going to take them at least two, three years. But when you look at USC, like I really think that this team only needs like a good coach. And this team could go winning 10 games right off the bat and making it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. So it shouldn't really be that hard to rebuild USC. They have a pretty talented roster. You're in California, one of the most talented states in all of America when it comes to football talent. Like you have easy access to some of the best recruits in that state. So, I mean, if I'm Luke Fickle, I'm giving USC a pretty good look. Or if I'm Billy Napier, I'm definitely giving USC a pretty good look. Like, I think those would be your two leading candidates right now. 
if USC was looking at, you know, getting ready to get rid of Clay Helton, like right now at this minute. So, you know, I think those would be the two top guys on the list when it comes to head coaching candidates for next year for who could replace Clay Helton. But at this point, you know, I was questioning before the season started, will Clay Helton be the head coach of USC football going into 2022? Now, I don't even know if Clay Helton is going to be the head coach of USC football for the end of the year. So, before I get into my next topic, if you are new to the channel or you're watching this on, you know, YouTube, make sure that you go ahead, subscribe, like the video, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast, link to it will be down in the description down below. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and you leave a five-star review down below. Greatly appreciate it, greatly helps the podcast out a lot. I got to get a sip of water real quick before we start the next segment. All right. So Florida defeated USF this past Saturday. And I have a lot to say about the quarterback situation that's kind of unraveling with the Florida Gators right now. So who should be the starting quarterback for Florida? Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson. Now, there are a lot of Florida fans who seem to be pretty 50-50 on this situation. Now, Dan Mullen pretty much has said that Emory Jones is going to be the starter going into Alabama. But when you look at Anthony Richardson, man, like every time he's on the field, he's making plays. And he, like, his first two passes against USF went for touchdowns. He was 3 of 3 for 152 passing yards, two touchdowns, and ran for like an 80-yard touchdown and finished the game for 115 rushing yards and one touchdown. Meanwhile, you had Emory Jones, who was 14 of 22, 151 passing yards, one touchdown, two picks. He had 81 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown as well. But I mean, listen, I love Emory Jones, okay? Like, I've been watching Emory Jones ever since I was a freshman in high school. I'm in my sophomore year now in college, and I really want to see Emory Jones succeed, okay? And there are a lot of Florida fans who love Emory Jones as well. But at the same time, you you simply can't overlook Anthony Richardson. Like, I think it's only a matter of time before Anthony Richardson ends up taking the job from Emory Jones. Now, I don't really know how Dan Mullen is going to play out this two-quarterback system, especially going against Alabama, because I really feel like going against FAU and USF, you don't really see the negative effects of having a two-quarterback system. But when you play a school like Alabama, I think it's really important that you have good rhythm and that you have good timing. And when you're switching in between quarterbacks every single drive or a play, like it kind of ruins the chemistry, the timing gets thrown off. So I really feel like against Alabama, we're really going to have a really good look at this quarterback situation. I feel like whichever quarterback plays the best against Alabama should be the starter for the remainder of the season. And I really love Emory Jones. Like Emory Jones is one of my favorite players in college football. I've been waiting for years to see Emory Jones finally get an opportunity to shine. And I made a video talking about why I feel like Emory Jones have a breakout season before the season started all the way back in what, May or April? So I mean, like I'm really high on Emory Jones. 
because I love Emory Jones. But I just feel like with the way things are unraveling with Anthony Richardson, like at one point it was okay how much Anthony Richardson are we going to see. He's just going to get mop-up duty. But you know, he's getting significant playing time. And it's to the point, like, he's now, you know, a factor in the offense. Like, now you're kind of game-planning ways to get Anthony Richardson involved. So if I'm Emory Jones, like, his margin for error is really small at this point. Now, Dan Mullen is being really patient with him. He's still keeping him as a starter going into the game against Alabama. But, I mean, Emory Jones is on a pretty slippery slope right now. Because if he comes out flat against Alabama and Anthony Richardson lights up Alabama, his job is pretty much taken at this point. So I think that Dan Mullen is going to keep riding out this two-quarterback system until we get into the Alabama game. But I think after they play Alabama, we're going to have our answers in terms of who should be the starting quarterback for Florida for the remainder of the year. Now, I'm hoping that it's Emory Jones. Nothing against Anthony Richardson. I just want to see Emory Jones succeed because I've been a big fan of Emory Jones ever since he was playing in high school. You know, I've waited several years to finally get an opportunity to see what Emory Jones can do as a starter. But I mean, like his two games against USF and FAU haven't really been all that stellar. And they haven't really been all that great for what you expect. A quarterback going against inferior opponents like FAU, no offense to, you know, the university I currently attend right now, but, you know, Emory Jones should have had a better performance against FAU than what he did. You also look at a performance against USF. It wasn't all that great. And Dan Mullen said, you know, there's growing pains. He understands that maybe this takes, maybe it's taking a little bit longer for things to click for Emory Jones, but it doesn't look like it's taking all that long for things to click for Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson is a freak. This dude is fast. He's huge. Like, listen, man. I would not be surprised if we see Anthony Richardson starting over Emory Jones at some point this year if Emory Jones' performance doesn't improve. Dan Mullen's being really patient. I have to give him a lot of credit because there are a lot of coaches in this day and age of college football who would already started Anthony Richardson over Emory Jones. So when I look at Emory Jones, man, I love him a lot. You know, he has questionable decision-making. His accuracy kind of is hit and miss at times. But I definitely feel like he has a lot of potential. He also knows the offense. He does have a little bit of experience. But overall, man, I think that Anthony Richardson is just too talented. Like, I just feel like eventually Anthony Richardson is going to end up taking over this job at some point if Emory Jones' performance doesn't improve. Because, I mean, at first, before the season started, he was a backup. We didn't really expect to see much of Anthony Richardson. Well, at least I didn't expect to see much of Anthony Richardson going into this year. Now, there are some people out there who are kind of on top of this who felt like Anthony Richardson kind of could make this, you know, a little bit of a controversy. But I wasn't really expecting this to be a controversy. I thought Emory Jones would come in, be able to do what he needs to do, and, you know, prove that this is his job. But it hasn't really felt like Emory Jones has really took a hold of it. It doesn't really feel like this is Emory Jones' team because the performances haven't really led up. And Emory Jones has been in the Florida program for a while now. So it really shouldn't be any excuse. As a matter of fact, the role should kind of be reversed. You know, Emory Jones should be the quarterback coming out, lighting the world on fire, impressing everybody. Not Anthony Richardson. I've been more impressed with Anthony Richardson than I have with Emory Jones. And then you got to remember, Anthony Richardson isn't even the starter. He's the backup. And he's outplaying Emory Jones. 
And that's scary. You know, he only threw three passes. Two of them went for touchdowns. It seems like every time that Anthony Richardson is in the game, something great happens. So I just feel like when you look at Anthony Richardson, like he just has something special. Like he's just a playmaker. He runs that. He's wearing that number 15. You remember that Tim Tebow number, that number 15? Like I think it's just really something special with Anthony Richardson. Like he just has a special spark. He has a special it factor about him. And I'm not saying that Emory Jones doesn't have that. I'm just saying like when you look at Anthony Richardson, man, you're looking at somebody who is going to be special. Really special. And your Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen seemed like he can't keep him off the field. Like, Dan Mullen has to find a way to get him involved, it seems like. You know, it seems like Dan Mullen, you know, stays up late at night trying to figure out new ways to get Anthony Richardson involved in the game. So, I just feel like it's only a matter of time before we see Anthony Richardson starting over Emory Jones at some point this year if Emory Jones doesn't pick it up. And I hope that Emory Jones is able to get things back on track. I hope that he's able to end up having a really strong um, game against Alabama. And overall, I hope that he can remain the starting quarterback for Florida for the remainder of the year and throughout the rest of his collegiate career. But I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see Anthony Richardson taking over the reins at QB for Florida full time. And like I mentioned, that two QB system, you know, it has some positives because you kind of keep the defense on their toes you don't really know what to expect you don't really know what you're going to do but at the same time it kind of ruins the timing and the chemistry offensively when you keep on switching in and out quarterback so really interesting seeing how this QB situation for Florida plays out I want my guy Emory Jones to succeed I really do I love Emory Jones one of my favorite players in college football but I really feel like it's only a matter of time before Anthony Richardson takes over man because every time he comes in the game he's making a play man he's not really getting the amount of snaps that Emory Jones is getting either man so imagine what Anthony Richardson could do if he was you know the full-time starting QB and quarter and Florida didn't have this quarterback carousel going on right now so you guys let me know how you guys feel about the quarterback situation for Florida who do you guys think should be the starting quarterback Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson let me know down in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube Last thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about Arkansas football. So the Arkansas Razorbacks defeated Texas 40-21. to Now, this was a game that I predicted Arkansas to win, even though I wasn't able to put out my official predictions. And Arkansas is kind of like my adopted football team for this year. I am a Arkansas football fan for this year. This is a team that I am taking on that I'm taking over as, you know, like a part-time fan. And I'm rooting for since the Miami Hurricanes suck. And they haven't really gave me much to cheer for. So I'm rooting for Arkansas because I love rooting for the underdog. And I always have like this second team that I root for aside from Miami that, you know, kind of it's an interesting story to watch. Last year was Indiana. The year before that it was Minnesota. I like watching these teams who seem to come out of nowhere and have success. And Arkansas is a team that I've kind of been ahead of the curve before the season even started. Like if you guys go back and watch my Why Arkansas 
be the most improved team in college football. I said that I believe that Arkansas is the biggest sleeper in the SEC West. A lot of people are picking LSU and Ole Miss, but I believe it's going to be Arkansas. As a matter of fact, I think that Arkansas is going to be the second best team in the SEC West this year. I think they're going to be better than Texas A&M. I think they're going to be better than LSU. And they have a game against Texas A&M coming up in like two weeks. They play Georgia Southern on the 18th. And then they play Texas A&M the following week after. So, I mean, like, that's going to prove if I'm right or wrong, if Arkansas does end up being the second best team or not. But I believe that they are better than Texas A&M. And when you look at the performance that they, that they had against Texas, like, it was really impressive. And Arkansas's offensive line really took over that game. Like, this team was able to run for a bunch of yards like A.J. Green was averaging 9.6 yards per attempt. Raheem Sanders was averaging 6.2 yards per carry. Dominique Johnson, like, the way they were able to run the football was really impressive. And Texas is a pretty solid football team, okay? Like, I don't want nobody to feel like, oh, Texas was overrated like always. Like, I feel like Texas is going to be a really good team this year. They should still be around the top 15, somewhere around that range. So Arkansas got a really good win against a really solid Texas program. Even though Steve Sarkees is in his first year and Texas is still trying to figure things out and get things, you know, heading in a good direction. But overall, you know, if you're a Texas fan watching this, there should be no shame in you losing to Arkansas. And you want to know what's crazy? So when I was researching um, facts or stats and um, notes for the game because I was going to preview this game, you know, the Texas-Arkansas matchup, but I wasn't able to get to it because schooling took over. I went on the Bleach Report app, and, you know, Bleach Report has, like, you know, the community section where fans can, you know, talk about things and stuff like that. So I went in the Texas community tab on the Bleach Report app, and I said, hey, Texas fans, what are your biggest concerns about Texas going into this Arkansas game? Now, a good amount of Texas fans were pretty reasonable. They said the run defense, they don't really know how Hudson Card is going to perform in his first um, road game. And then the majority of them probably said something like, oh, I'm not worried about Arkansas and stuff like that and you know Arkansas won the game and I've been telling people man a lot of people keep sleeping on Arkansas football this team is going to be one of the best teams in the SEC West this year you want to know why because they're really good up front they're really good on the offensive line and they're really good when it comes to their defensive line as well like I think their offensive line is the best offensive line in the SEC better than Georgia and better than Alabama and if you can win up front and you're able to handle your own up front, you're going to be in the majority of games that you play because that's basically what it comes down to. Like a lot of people forget, you know, they try to make football all about wide receiver and, you know, cornerback and stuff like that. At the end of the day, it comes down to can you win up front? Can you handle your own up front? And Arkansas can do that. And you have the quarterback in KJ Jefferson. I know he didn't have the best game from a stat sheet performance, but he didn't really need to do too much because of how dominant Arkansas was when it came to running the football. So you have the game against Georgia Southern coming up. Then that's when the season really starts. Okay, you got to play Texas a and 
them. You play Georgia. You play Ole Miss. Then you got to play Auburn. Like, they have a really tough schedule coming up. And I don't know if they're going to be able to win all those games, but I really do like them to pull off the upset against one of those teams. I like them to be either A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss, and I'm pretty confident that they'll beat Auburn. But I really like this Arkansas team. This is a team that I have adopted. This is my adopted college football team for this season. I'm rooting for Arkansas. I want them to have a lot of success. And before the season began, I said that I can see Arkansas winning nine, maybe 10 games this year and surprising everybody and being the second best team behind Alabama in the SEC West this year because this is a really good football team. You have talent at wide receiver, a lot of experience at wide receiver, and you got a lot of experience on defense. A lot of people got to remember that the only player that I believe Arkansas lost was a defensive lineman. I believe his name was Jonathan Marshall. They lost him to the NFL, but outside of him like they have pretty much all their starters returning so I mean this is a team that's experienced they're talented and this defense is really really good like this defense is going to be really interesting to watch going against an AM offense that's still trying to figure things out like Arkansas ladies and gentlemen don't be surprised if you see Arkansas beat Texas A&M or Georgia because I definitely feel like they're going to end up pulling off the upset against one of those two teams maybe it's going to be A&M most likely because we don't know what What's going to happen with their starting quarterback right now because he went down with an injury against Colorado. So we don't really know what's going on. But either way, man, like Arkansas is for real. A lot of y'all need to wake up on Arkansas. Sam Pittman is building something special. And a lot of people don't realize that Arkansas has been one of the more better teams in over college football history. Like this is one of the most winning programs in all of college football. You know, they're not like a die a diehard blue blood like uh texas or usc you know you don't really have you know the tradition and pageantry that those programs have but they're kind of a blue blood in their own right you know like they may not be a national championship contender or they haven't been a national championship contender like a uh, usc or texas has been in the past and whatnot but arkansas has been a pretty consistent program for over the last couple of years historically so it's really good to see this program have success Arkansas fans are really good you guys are really big supporters of the channel so of course it's only right that I adopt Arkansas to be my adopted team that I'm going to root for outside of Miami this season and I'm rooting for Arkansas man like I really like what Sam Pittman is building this is a team that has a lot of experience and this team in my opinion is going to end up being the second best team in the SEC West this year make sure that you go ahead you screen record this you screenshot it you save it do whatever you got to do Arkansas is going to be the second best team in the SEC West and I think I said this before but if I haven't said it before I'm saying it again Arkansas ladies and gentlemen will be the second best team in the SEC West I've been saying this all offseason that a lot of people are really sleeping on Arkansas Arkansas will be the most improved team in college football this year and so far they're proving me right so you guys let me know down in the comment section down below how you guys feel about Arkansas. Do you guys feel like this team is for real? Do you guys feel like they can end up being the second best team in the SEC West this year? Do you think they can end up pulling off the upset against either Georgia or Texas A&M? Sound off down below. And this is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. If you are a first-time listener, make sure that you go ahead and leave a five-star review down below. Make sure that, that you subscribe to my YouTube channel for the cut-up 
um visual version of this podcast on jt sports on my youtube channel make sure that you go ahead subscribe there make sure that you follow me on my social media platforms my instagram and twitter is both jt sports underscore and i will see you guys shortly with my week three college football predictions